All right, welcome to Cross Training, where we look at faith and practice in a biblical lens to help start conversations in a Christ-like manner. Uh, I'm your host, Tanner Higgins. And I'm your co-host, Matthew Thompson. We hope that you will join us in our goal to make every part of God's Word practical in today's culture. So let's get right into it. First, and this might be a, a consistent thing, might not be, we'll just kind of fill things out. Now, Tanner, I know that given that we're about to get into the first big episode on unity, uh, the yes. scripture that you might be reading, that you might have been reading recently, is, is probably unity focused. But I mean, that, that's perfectly mm-hmm. fine. Just kind of want to just get this started by just, I mean, diving into God's word. Like, what's been exciting you recently in God's word? What have you been reading into? What's what's been jumping out and speaking to you? Well, you know, unity is kind of a big thing right now, um, and going and talking to people about church. You know, what do they desire about church? And uh, trying to find exactly. Where in Scripture can we gain knowledge and insight into the Word of God? Exactly what is unity? Where does it come from? Um, what does it look like in a uh, real setting, in a church setting, a community setting? Uh, but Romans chapter 12, which, which, which ironically is where we'll be looking at uh, in this podcast, in this uh, episode. So uh, I'm not going to uh, tickle your ears with that right now because we'll get into it a little bit more. And uh, But yet, Romans 12 is basically where I've been really kind of focusing lately and kind of seeing uh, where today's church can glean light from a first, first century church and where we can grow from God's Word. So that's, that's where I've been, man. Neck deep, all the way. Good deal. Uh, as for me, uh, we very recently got done with uh, Revival, where jo- uh, mm-hmm. Brother Jonathan Locklear preached. And I look up to him quite a bit just as a mentor and uh, as a solid Christian dude. And several years ago at church camp, I remember hearing him just off the cuff. Wasn't anything that he'd like planned out like for a sermon or nothing. It was just like at lunch one day. He said, man, I woke up this morning and it just felt like a Psalm 1 kind of, kind of day. Like he was talking mm-hmm. about his coffee and he was like, I had two thoughts in my mind this morning. Psalm 1 and coffee. But the Psalm 1, that, that's where it's at. Now I, I I didn't I'm not about to talk about Psalm one just spoilers there, but I've been trying to take a page from his, his book there and be like you know what maybe I should try to, to read me a Psalm in the morning and get in the right mindset yeah. and start the day off in prayer and have something to pray about from Scripture. So this morning uh, it was literally just a case of opening up my Bible app and just scrolling and playing a very safe game of Russian roulette <laughs> with a scroll. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. And I landed on Psalm 74, which is described as a prayer for Israel. And I'm not going to read the whole thing because there's a solid Give bit of verses. Yeah, I'll, I'll read just verses 1 and 2. It kind of sets the mood. It says, Why have you rejected us forever, God? Why does your anger burn against the sheep of your pasture? Remember your congregation, which you purchased long ago, and redeemed as the tribe for your own possession. Remember Mount Zion, where you dwell. Now, that might not sound like good. I mean, there's, there's a lot of borderline hostility uh, mm-hmm. that you can kind of get out of that. But you've got to keep in mind uh, what, what the title of that chapter is, Prayer for Israel. you got to keep in mind that Israel was very bad about um, loving God for, for one minute and turning away the next. Like the second that God wasn't continuing to just give them an outpouring of blessings, and sometimes in the midst of being yeah. uh, on the receiving end of an outpouring of blessings, they were so quick to go towards idols. They're so quick to, to lean on their own understanding to kind of bring some, some more biblical meaning out Psalm there. Psalm 51, I believe. Uh, something like that. Yeah, Psalm 51, 10, something. We continue, yeah. sir. Yeah, no, you're fine. Um, so there's this consistent mood of a genuine fear 
of the Lord. Because a fear of the Lord, that's, that's something that I didn't think about super critically until rather recently. And when I say recently, I mean like past one or two years, not mm-hmm. like a week ago or anything like that. Uh, but relatively recently in the grand scheme of time. Um, what does that mean to fear the Lord? Because there's just, I mean, the word fear, you think of it like you're scared of something. Yeah. Like, should I be scared of God? I thought I was supposed to love him. Well, yes. But fearing the Lord, that's having a reverence for his power. A respect. Acknowledging that this is the God that created the heavens and the earth that holds your life and your spirit in his hand, who, depending on the way that, that you decide to devote your life, holds your eternity. He, mm-hmm. is, he is the great judge. And because God has established these rules and he has decided like, hey, I'm setting these rules for myself and for you. So if you don't follow the law that I set in place, if you don't, if you don't come to me, if you don't uh, repent of your sins, not only are you beheld by that, in the scope of eternity, I'm beheld by that. Yeah. I can't. I can't be giving people free passes. Which I mean, let's be real. Salvation, more or less, is a free pass. So <laughs> there you go. But that fear, you you can really taste like that that primal fear in that chapter, and it really just helps you respect. Like, um, well, I, I don't know if respect's the right word, but you can see the mindset of Israel in that prayer, like in the midst of. Uh, them disobeying God and them getting that 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 justice that, that God promises them. I mean, God warns them so often and gives them chance after chance after chance. And I'm sure this is them complaining after the like 53rd time that they had messed up and were and were getting their just desserts. So they very right, absolutely deserve that. And further in that chapter, they acknowledge that like they've done bad. So again, in context, it makes sense. But as you're reading, like, dang, these these guys. They're really wanting that mercy. You can and, see that uh, Israel is like a pre-adolescent teen oh, yeah. to, towards their father, which mm-hmm. they use that dialogue as God our Father on purpose. Because my dad, I have respect for him. I fear him in the, in the in a biblical sense of saying, you know, I love him, I respect him. I don't. I'm not scared of him. It shouldn't be this way. I know there's there's a lot of family situations where you know kids are genuinely scared of their father of of. Uh, beating them, getting drunk, and, and having this horrible relationship, but in a good, healthy father-to-child relationship as Israel and God the Father should be, which a lot of times it's not. But the pre-adolescent teen loves to do their own thing, loves to get dirty and get their mud and track in the house, but there's a respect that needs to belong there. And that's, my dad loves me. He wants to take care of me. He wants to guide me down the direct path, but yet I need to have that respect towards him. Absolutely. Uh, and just a closing thought on that on that chapter, uh, keeping in mind this repentance and this acknowledgement of wrongdoing that this prayer uh, for Israel is has within it, it also helps me appreciate, you know they got that mercy. The, hmm. This prayer didn't go in vain. Hmm. Again, this was probably the 53rd time that they were, they were coming crying to, home to Dad. And Dad gave him that pat on the back and said, you know what, I know that you didn't learn your lesson because I'm, I'm not omniscient, but I have that mercy and that grace that I'm going to... I'm gonna I'm gonna let you get away with it more or less, again like that that unrelenting mercy and love that God had for His people and still has for it's His like people. It's like that bread of filter that never ends, man. It's like <sighs> it's been like six months since I've last changed it. <laughs> Maybe change it. I don't know. Yeah. All right. Well, we're gonna strive to not be on that 53rd licking by talking about unity today. Uh, Talk about something that pleases God. So we're gonna get right into it today. Um, let's let's start off with an. Well, I hesitate to say not so holy scripture, but let's get a literal definition out there. Yes. Uh, Merriam-Webster, 
he says that unity is defined by being in a state of oneness coming from different parts. I think this is a, a great definition of what, obviously great, because this is what we define, this is what the English dictionary defines of, of what unity is, is different things coming together, different perspectives maybe, different members, different things that have a different uh, view on a few things, but coming together in one to create one body, to create unity, to union uh, with one another. That's what, you know, me and Matthew are both married men. Uh, and me and my wife are two different people. But when we got married, we became one. Two different people becoming one. And that's a great example of, you know, how a union, which by the state is classified as a marriage, yeah. a union with each other. So we talk about unity and we'll be beating that word like a dead horse. But what exactly is unity and is it all talk? Matthew, do you think unity is just basically just a buzzword as, as you uh, say quite a bit? Is, is it all talk or is, it, is there action in it? Well, there are two very different right, ways to look at it. Uh, in a worldly sense, I'm, I'm going to go with, yeah. I mean, unity mm -hmm. is definitely a buzzword. It's used to rally people up behind a cause that more often than not is man-made. Uh, really, the, the word unity in a fleshly sense has little more or less meaning than like synergy. You hear politicians talk about it all the time. Oh, yeah, exactly. It's, it's definitely not used in the right sense these days. Uh, but as Christians, unity is way more than a word. It's, it's one of the chief functions of our relationship with God. Like he desires mm -hmm. that unity with his people. Uh, it's definitely something that we don't, we don't talk about it enough. You know, I mean, it's not going to seem that way once we get done uh, with, with the series, because we're going to say the word unity so many times, it's not going to sound like a word anymore. But yeah. in the grand scheme of like the global and local church, which I'm going to say global and local church a lot as well, because this is very relevant uh, to that word. We, we don't take unity seriously. I think it's assumed in a lot of cases. Oh, yeah. I mean, there are plenty of hymns and such out there that say, hey, we're all brothers and sisters here, and we call each other brothers and sisters. But I don't think we take much time to really dive into what does that mean and mm -hmm. why do we have that privilege. So to have unity, I think there needs to be a little bit of talk of where in the world did unity come from. We say it's just a word, but where did this union, what is this union, and where did we go wrong? Where did this disunion come from? So to get the perspective and to get the context of the full picture, you've got to go all the way back to Genesis, all the way back to the Garden of Eden. So in the Garden of Eden, you've got this perfect picture of God and man and creation coming together as in one. God creates creation. God makes man. And they're walking perfectly, harmoniously together. So after God gave Adam this authority to do the work of God, he saw that I'm not doing this well enough right now. He says, I need a helper. And God, what does he do? With his great mercy, gives Adam a helper. Yeah. And Adam names this helper woman, saying, you are part of me, and literally means helper. So... Here they are, man and woman, conjoined together in union, union with God, union with creation, and doing what God wills. Okay? Yeah. So perfect picture. Perfect picture. And then the tempter comes. The snake 
comes and says, okay, there's this tree over here that God said not to take part of, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eve, that ain't that bad. God's not being truthful in the sense that you'll die. You can take part of that tree. You'll, you'll know everything there is to know about good and evil. You'll be just like God. And Eve, fallen into that temptation, ate of that fruit, and then went to Adam and said, It's good. I'm not dead. God just doesn't know what he's talking about. Adam eats it. And then then they, they were ashamed and they hid from God. So this is where the disunion comes from. So the original sin created disunion between man and God. And to dive into scripture and really see how that instant uh, shattering of unity took place uh, can be found in Genesis chapter 3. I'm just going to read verses 8 through 13. Right what there. version are we using today? Oh, goodness, that's right. I'm reading uh, from the English Standard Version, okay. ESV. Uh, we'll kind of hop around with our versions in the future because, I mean, hey, why stay tied down? People like different versions. We'll respect that. Uh, it helps us to, to get all these different viewpoints on Scripture. Um, different versions have slightly different wordings here and there that might help people understand in different ways. So Good that's, deal. that's something we should dive into. But yeah, ESV, uh, this is Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. Uh, and this is fresh after uh, they sewed the feet, uh, the fig leaves together. The feet, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, where they recognize their their nakedness because they see that this they can discern between good and bad. Yeah, uh, and that's the result even from the tree. Uh, it says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Oh, man. Mm. I don't want to get, I, I get too off topic here. But, man, I just I love that it seems that God is still giving them a way out right there. Saying, why don't, why don't you confess your sin, bud? But that, that's not what happens. It's not what happens. It says here in verse 12, it says, The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me. Trying to blame God here. Yeah. Like the gall. <laughs> she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? Another way out. God's still giving them escape hatches here, but she doesn't take it. She says, uh, the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. That unity being shattered, they're, they're just trying to toss off the blame. I mean, yeah. goodness, Adam over here is trying to blame God and Eve at the same time. Like, well, you see, you see this whole disunity, this whole corruptive episode of four parts of disunion. You've got a disunion between man and God that Adam walked with God and is now hiding. They're both, both man and woman are hiding from God. You see a disunion between man and man that here's the first lover's quarrel that, that Adam is bl uh, blaming Eve. And then later on in, in, uh, in Genesis, you see that there is a disunion between man and creation that now, because of their sin, the earth and the animals are not going to yield to what man says. You know, there's going to be weeds. Your, your crops ain't going to be as plentiful as it was. Listen, I'm pretty sure, I'm about 100% sure that pre-fall, if Adam's told a lion to jump through a flaming hoop, that lion's going to jump through a flaming hoop. But now you've got a whip and a chair. You've got a lot of training to do. So you've got animals and creation not having union with man. So then the fourth one, I think, is one that's probably most pertinent, most personalized to every one of us, is that there is a disunion even within ourselves, even within Adam's and Eve's selves, is that the image that was made from God, the plan, the will that was emplaced upon them, 
has now been corrupted, that they've decided to do their own thing. And so the natural man is beautiful that God has made and is creative and joyful. But due to sin, it creates these types of discords. It makes what is beautiful ugly. It makes what is creative unimaginative. It makes what is joyful troubled. I think Genesis is a book that, that doesn't get enough credit because it's the story of Adam and Eve is one that um, I think we both can agree is taught basically from birth. Like you, that, yeah. That's one of the stories that uh, Noah's Ark, Samson gets thrown in there for whatever reason. Such a bloody story you're teaching little kids. I don't but hey, I'm not the boss here. <laughs> there, there are a lot of stories that Daniel in the Lions did, just to throw another one mm-hmm. out there, um, just for the sake of it. These are stories that you hear growing up, and they just kind of get drilled in your head so much that I feel like a lot of us, when we get to the age that we can start reading and meditating over the Bible and start understanding it more as adults, uh, we don't go back over those stories very often. Because, I mean, we, we heard them all the time growing up. I, w- I want to read all the stuff that I wasn't taught as a yeah. child. So Genesis, it gets glossed over, but it's like, oh, God made the heavens and the earth. He did a bunch of stuff in seven days. Uh, he rested on that seventh day. Adam and Eve, they messed up and ruined it for everybody. Uh, Cain was a murderer of the end. <laughs> it gets kind of, you gloss over the details. But man, just seeing God seemingly give them that way out, not once, but twice. And I mean, would he, would everything have been okay? And he'd be like, all right, you get this one strike for free. I don't know. I mean, there's no way for us to know because Adam and Eve both decided to be selfish and destroy that unity, not, not only between each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, two human beings quite literally made for each other. And all it took was that, was that little bit of unbelief that an unbelief that lasted long enough to take from that fruit and sacrifice everything that they've been given. And they turn on each other instantly. Adam doesn't only turn on the woman. He turns on God. Mm-hmm. Like just that. Oh my goodness. It, it's heartbreaking. It really and truly is heartbreaking. It's, you can see that Adam and Eve are basically placing themselves as idols over God. Yeah. Saying that what you've told us is not important. Exactly. What they're striving to be is God mm-hmm. is try is they're they're trying to place themselves as an idol of themselves, yeah. and it seems like the key to this whole dysfunctional disunion between God and man is selfish pride yeah. and selfishness. Yeah, and I feel like the story of Adam and Eve and the fall is just it's utilized as a means to an end quite often. Like we we utilize that story as being oh that's why humanity sins these mm-hmm. days like that that's it. And I mean that's not wrong, but I feel like a lot of people take away from the significance of Adam and Eve's relationship with God. Because, I mean, we don't know how long they were in the garden before the fall. Like, it could have been borderline instant, which, I mean, knowing, like, the Israelites, for instance, hey, I I wouldn't be surprised. (laughs) My humble opinion, the way that the Israelites are and the way that I am, I wouldn't say it wasn't long at all. Yeah. I would say it was probably a couple of days or weeks or something. But even if it was only a couple of weeks, and uh, let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say they lasted a whole year. A year of paradise, a year of unity between this man and woman, again, quite literally made for each other, that no disagreements, no no sin, no corruption, nothing bad. All these uh, trees with with fruits, all these animals that aren't like tearing each other apart, like the circle of life that we know today, it it wasn't a thing. It wasn't a dog-eat-dog world. It was... The dog snuggle dog world. <laughs> it was all gum Dog snuggle cat, man. Yeah. And literally the second that that fruit, that one forbidden fruit, gets eaten of, just all that gets thrown away in an instant. Yeah. And it's all the action of man. 
and it's all action of man. It's not like God was waiting on them to mess up and then hop down there and be like, ha ha, I'm kicking you out. No, that, just such heartbreak in that that we gloss over, I feel. Well, you see imagery in, the, in uh, Revelation of the new earth, the new Eden, that the lion and the lamb will lay together. Mm. And so you have, in our view, of a very ferocious, very chaotic animal and a very peaceful, timid, ignorant animal yeah. coming together. And another thing to keep in mind, uh, you brought up how the new Eden being a big deal. I mean, that, that's a huge deal. Yeah. It's like the biggest of deals. Um, that just paints the picture of how much God desires to have that again. That union. And that if that ain't love, I don't know what is. Yeah. That God is, is willing to put himself through all the betrayal that like the Israelites put him through. That he's willing to, to stoop to our fleshly level just so he's capable of dying for our sins, past, present, and future. Because all that God wants is to just have that unity yeah. again. So now we're going to talk about where does this new unity come from? We saw where unity w- was, where unity fell, and by God's grace, He's given us a way to have perfect union again. It's all about God's grace. So I'm reading from Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 19 and read through 23. So back in Scripture. It's important to be back in Scripture, man. Remember. Scripture's key. So God's word says in verse 19, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So who's him? Who is he talking about here? And through him to reconcile to himself all things. To reconcile. To reconcile is to bring back. So he's talking about bringing back into union to himself all things. So that's back to the things we were talking about earlier. Between man and God. Man and man. Man and himself. Man in creation, bringing all these things back together and reconciling them, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Okay, so we're, we're narrowing this down. So by the blood of the cross, making peace, this, this thing that, that's bringing union back by the blood of the cross. Verse 21, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. And I can see that this is speaking to me, and this is speaking of Adam and Eve doing things that go against God, that they were basically being hostile by disobeying God. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach above him. If indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So this blood of the cross, who do you think he's talking about here? I mean, Jesus. Of course. <laughs> of course. Jesus is always which, the answer. And, and, and we say that, and, I, I, and if you just listen to this, uh, whoever the listener is, and if you've never heard the name of Jesus, great guy. I know oh, him yeah. personally. Yeah. Highly recommend him. Highly recommend. <laughs> I give him a four. I give him a five star on Yelp. Oh, a Yelp yeah, there we go. Yeah. Right. Uh, but this guy named Jesus, the by the blood of the cross, are we reconciled back with God? And so this unity that Christ desires, God offers, and so He offers this by the blood of Christ. So only through Christ are we able to have this harmony. That, the, that, that Eden had in the very beginning. 
So having this, this new thing, this new unity, now I'm going to go to Romans chapter 12. Sorry, a lot of our Bible reading. Uh, but Never apologize for Scripture. Never apologize for Scripture. <laughs> Let me go here. Romans 12, verse 1. So Romans 12, verse 1, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. So talking about this mercy again, mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, a sacrifice that is well-pleasing uh, to God. So sacrifices in the Old Testament, Matthew, what were they used for? They were used for... Uh, to repent. To less. repent. Yeah. So those offerings that, that that we give is to basically to repent. And God offered a chance, as you said earlier, for Adam and Eve to repent. Mm-hmm. So a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So this type of unity that he speaks of that is through Christ is worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God that is good and acceptable and perfect. And so this new type of unity, union, that God now offers through the blood of Christ, there's a way to have it. It's about have a transformed renewing of the mind and that we may understand God's word. So I'll, let me wrap it up here. Is that So this unity shows perfect homeostasis, having this transformed-like thinking that... Christ offers gives a look into the human design that God initially created. And we gain a glimpse, just a glimpse, into the knowledge of God. And this knowledge is not built by us solely, but by God. And it needs to be refreshed every day. Every day. So we've established what unity means um, in Scripture, like what God meant for us to have, what we threw away, and what God wants to give back to us through His mercy and grace. So now that we've discussed that, uh, in the next episode we'll be discussing what this means for the church, awesome. the church uh, on a local and on the global scale. So I look forward to it. We'll catch you in the next episode. All right. Peace out.